parents, you remember, I'm sure, what it was like when you first had kids. And all of a sudden, you begin to look at these, these little kids that, that you've never had before, and it makes you nervous because you begin to understand, I am actually responsible for this life whenever I can barely even take care of myself. And so that's a little bit nerve-wracking. And then you begin to realize, I'm responsible for actually feeding this little kid. And then there's other things that cause fear to come into our hearts. Uh, and one of them is I, I learned very early that these little creatures, you know, that we call children, that we really don't have much control over them. You know, they get older and there's just not a whole lot that, you know, after a while you begin to realize they have their own minds and they can make their own decisions and they can do all sorts of different things. And that can be, that can be scary in and of itself. And so what happens for a lot of us is we try to, we try to do whatever we can to control them. Have, have y'all made this effort yet as parents where you try to control? You know, I, I think I figured out a formula to where they're going to do what I tell them to do. And some of us, we, we work through a few different things. Uh, some of them are good. You know, one of the, the things many parents do is they discipline their kids. And you might stick them in time out or you might, you might spank your kids. You know, as far as I'm concerned, hey, baby, whatever works. Um, I know that with uh, my oldest son, whenever uh, a spanking worked really well for him, and then, you know, Glenn's a little bit different, and then we have Janie, and I, I've learned my, my daughter, spankings don't work with her. I mean, you can beat the tar out of that girl, and she is just a stubborn mule. And so if y'all have any suggestions about what might work, you know, we're all open to this. But we try to control our kids in different ways. You know, there's discipline, or we try to, we try to bribe them. You know, if you, uh, if you will be quiet during the service today, I will give you two donuts and a donut hole. You know, and so that's, uh, you know, that's, a, that's a really exciting thing. And then others of us, we try to be our kids' best friends. So all these different methods we go after, and yet at some point or another, or at some time or another, all of these methods end up failing in, in some way. Now, I'm not saying that discipline is not a good thing. I I'm a very strong believer in that, but... But it's just difficult to find something that works constantly. And so what happens is that makes us nervous. You know, it makes us fearful about, about our kids. But here is something that I know that our children need more than anything else. And like I said, I believe that teaching and discipline and those things are very important. But the, the basic or the crux of everything in the relationship with our kids and what they need more than anything is they need us to love them. Now, nobody here is going to disagree with that. I mean, who's going to say, I don't think you should love your kids? I mean, nobody's going to say that unless you're just a heel. But we're all going to agree with that. But here's the deal. How do we define love? You know, what exactly is love? And we all have our opinions on what it is, but I thought, you know, probably the best thing for us to do is to throw out what we think love is and just simply take a look and see how the Bible describes love to find out what the Bible has to say about it. And the best place where you can find a definition of love in Scripture is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is also known as the love chapter. I'm sure that many of you who are married, whenever you got married, you asked the pastor to read this passage of Scripture. But it's here in the Scripture where we see God share with us a definition of love. And the best thing our kids can receive from us is love. But the question is, how do we define it? Well, the Bible's going to define it for us. 
And so if you have your Bible, you can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse number 4. And uh, while you're looking that up, I'm going to share with you just a little background. This is written to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthians were a very interesting group of people, to say the least. Uh, they were a very gifted people. Uh, their, their town is located in what is now modern-day Greece. But they had, uh, it was a very big trading center, big trading town. But they had one of the seven wonders of the world there, the Temple of Aphrodite. Now, if any of you took Greek mythology, do y'all remember who Aphrodite was? The goddess, yeah, good. The goddess of love, that's right. She's the goddess of love. Now, that sounds nice. Uh, here's the problem. Their view of love was very perverted. In that temple in Corinth, there were over a thousand temple prostitutes. And so, as you can imagine, morality was not real strong in Corinth. And unfortunately, it also infected the church. And so the Corinthian church's view of love was perverted. And so Paul wrote this letter, he wrote this text, because he needed to help the Corinthians understand what real love is all about. Now, these people were gifted. God had greatly blessed them. In chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, Paul said, For in him you've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. They were very gifted people, but they were very confused when it came to how do we define love. And I think there's a lot of us who are some good people. You know, we've been gifted by God in a lot of different ways. But man, when it comes down to it, we have some weird views as to what love really is. And so I just want today to just take a look and see what does the Bible say about love. Because I believe the greatest thing that you can give your children is a biblical view of love. And so we're just going to look at some very simple, simple definitions of how the Bible defines love. And the very first definition that we're given of love in the Bible is we're told that love is costly. Have you all figured that out yet? If you're really going to love somebody... It's going to cost you something. And the Bible says this to us in verses 4 and 5. Here's what it says. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. It does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. And does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, as love is described in these two verses, one thing that you'll see is that love is not just something we say. Love is action. It is something that you do. It is how you live your life. Now, like I said, the Corinthians were very gifted. God had blessed them with a lot of gifts, but they had a great misunderstanding as to what love was. Uh, their love, for one, it was, it was promiscuous. It was outside the bounds of God. But not only that, their love was also performance-driven. You know, as you look through the book of 1 Corinthians, you're going to see that whenever people were nice to the Corinthians, whenever people kind of did what they wanted them to do, they loved them. Man, I like these guys. I mean, we're very similar in that regard. Have, have you discovered that it is easier for, easier for you to be nice to people and to your children, to love them uh, more 
uh, more, more easily whenever they do what you want them to do? Now, that's my experience. I like performance. I said that last week. I'm all for it. I think it's a really good thing. But if that's what you're basing your love off of, I want you to understand, it is not a biblical love. The Corinthians, they did this. Matter of fact, if, if you, you don't, don't do it right now, but if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, within the church, the Corinthians had this performance-based love. So you like me, I like you. You don't like me, then I ain't going to like you. And what happened is they began to sue each other inside of the church. Isn't that great? I mean, how'd you like to come to church here and find out that half the church is suing the other half of the church? Paul got ticked off. Paul saw this. He said, guys, understand, you were giving a horrible testimony to the world about what love's all about. I mean, love is, it is something that is unconditional. Love is something that is not performance-driven. And if your love is like that, then the world is not going to want anything to do with the kind of love that the church has, that God offers. Jesus mentioned this in Matthew 5, 46 and 47. He said, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Now, in light of this, how is love defined in your life? How does love in your life, how is it played out with the people around you, with your kids? Is it based off of performance? Is it based off of how people treat you? See, my fears in my own life, now I catch myself oftentimes having a very worldly outlook when it comes to love. But what does God tell us about love and how we are to love? Well, Paul gives us some important insights in these two verses by letting us know that godly love carries with it a cost. Y'all, if you're going to love your kids, I'm going to be real honest with you, it will be expensive. Look back in verse number 4. I want you to tell me the, tell me the very first definition that is given of love. Verse 4. It says, love is what? Patient. Man, I hate that. I hate that the very first definition of love that's given is patience. You know, it wouldn't be better if it just said, love is fun. You know, love is, it makes you feel good. It doesn't say that. It says, love is patient. Now, what does that mean? The very first indication that we're given about love is that love is going to, that your relationships with people are going to have mistakes. That there's going to be a mess that's involved with love. Otherwise, love's definition would not start off by saying love is patient. Because if everything was going to work out great, you don't have to be patient. But a definition of love is that love will be messy and people are messy. And what you learned, those, for those of you who are parents, you learned from the very beginning that your kids are messy. When, and, and that's when they're, when they're babies, they're messy. I remember when Emily and I, when we first had kids, I'd, I didn't, I'd never had kids before. You know, and then you have these kids, and they, they can't take care of themselves. And yet they wear diapers. And yet that looks cute, you know, but you know, there's a reason why they wear them. And so, you know, love is messy, right? With your kids, it's messy. And I found myself changing diapers. And I'm think, I, remember, I remember thinking in my mind, going, how did I get here? You know, this is weird. This is not a part of life plan. And, and yet, 
and yet I was doing it. Now, why was I doing it? Well, because I was trying to score points with Emily, for one. But the reason why I was doing it ultimately is because those kids needed help. And let me tell you something, I'm not going to change your kids' diapers. You know what? I'll change mine, my kids' diapers. You know why? I love them. Now, is that messy? Man, that's messy. But you know what? As, as I love my kids like that, that is really, that is a biblical definition of love. Love is patient. Love is messy at times. And that is how God has chosen to love us. That word patient means to be long-suffering. When we love somebody, we're willing to suffer with them. That might even mean changing diapers. That as we love our kids like that, it gives a picture to our children of the kind of love God has for us. Do you know God loves you even though you're messy? Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet messy, sinners, it says Christ died for us. See, Christ is patient in his love with us in order to win us over. And as we are willing to love like Jesus loves us, and we're willing to love our kids like that, Man, when our kids see that we love them, even in the mess of life, they're going to get a picture God. Begin to understand, you know, the, my, my parents love me not based on performance. They just simply love me like God loves me. And if you're going to love like that, it's costly. It means you're going to love them through thick and thin. It's also costly because if you look in verse number 5, it says that your love is not going to keep a record wrongs. So I don't keep a record of wrongs. Now this doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye to your kids when they step outside the bounds of God. It doesn't mean that you ignore their sin and their shortcomings or that these are things that we are called to point out. Let me try to give an example of it. And, and doing that, by the way, it is costly. Uh, for some strange reason, you know, kids, I've, I've noticed that young kids in particular, they are drawn to traffic. I was at the Y yesterday, and when I was out there, it's funny, I saw this dad, a big guy, and he's yelling at his kid. His kid's run ahead of him, and he's, it's, he's crossing that little crosswalk to go into the Y, and he's not looking either way. He's just walking right out, and there's cars coming both ways. The dad's screaming, stop, and the kid doesn't stop. Now, what do you think the dad did? Do you think the dad just stopped and said, he, I mean, he didn't come over to me and say, you know, it's obvious that's something that he really wants to do, and I don't want to hurt his feelings, so I'm just going to let him walk out in the middle of traffic. And he did not ignore his kid's shortcoming. You know what he did? He did what we would do. Walked over and grabbed that kid because the kid ignored him. And he whacked him on the backside. And, of course, if it was me, I would have done the same thing. Then I would have walked over and found a squashed squirrel and said, that will be you if you do that again. Now, now wh why, why would we do something like that? We do stuff like that because we want to lead our kids because we love them. Now, you... We didn't just give that lesson one time. We had to give those kinds of lessons over and over again. Yeah, yeah, love, love like that is costly. It's risky because it means if you love your kid like that, there's going to be a chance that they're going to step out in the middle of traffic again. But you don't give up on them. You continue to teach in order to protect them. That's how God loves us. What's the definition of love according to the Bible? It's It's costly. There's another definition I want you to see of love, and that is that love is also considerate. We're called to be considerate of others and, and the people that we love. If you look at verse 6, it says, Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Um, I, I have always been 
competitive. Um, I, it doesn't matter if we are, you know, if we're playing golf or if I'm playing words with friends with Emily. I hate losing. And uh, and the unfortunate thing about that is that I have actually I catch myself at times like I root against the people I'm playing. I'm hoping they do terrible because it helps ensure victory for me. Like even though I'm playing golf, I'm not a good golfer, but if I'm playing with somebody and they're trying to we're competing. You know, they hit a bad shot on the inside. I'm going yes. You know, on this I'm thinking I hope he yanks the sucker into the water. On the outside I'm like, hey man, hit a good shot, just relax. Uh, but, you know, that's which is not it's you know it's not true. Um, a, a couple of years ago we had a we had a church bowling league. And, uh, you know, bowling, that's bowling so uncool, but y'all, it is so fun. And so we had this bowling league, and it was a blast. And our team, we made it to the, uh, we were the championship match. And we were playing this one team in the church. I won't mention names. It was Mike and Shirley Turner. And uh, if y'all know Mike, I don't know how many of y'all know Mike Turner. Mike cracks me up. And so Mike's bowling, and uh, so Mike's pretty intense. He was here the first service, so anyway, I'll explain later. But he was, every time he'd get ready to release the ball, I'd say, cut a ball. And, and I was doing it because I knew it would get into his head. Mike is real intense. And so it was irritating. His face got really red. And so every time he'd get ready to release it, another guy in the church, myself, we would say something to him. And he finally turned around. And we ended up be- winning, too. He finally turned around, and this was funny. He said, if you weren't my preacher, I'd punch you in the face. So, you know, it's, it, was, it was great. Now, um, now, that is not, you know, sometimes with love, we, we think that it's that it's competitive and, and sometimes it's, it, it's not considerate now that that obviously is not a great picture of, of considerate love on my part yeah that's not that's not mature love but you know what real love does not find joy in other people's shortcomings real love does not does not rejoice when other people fail real love is considerate understands other people and reaches out to people in order to build them up, to come alongside them, and the, and the reason why is because you know what in life we need people. We need each other. Parents, your your kids need to see a picture of you supporting them, caring for them, because there there's going to be a day when you're going to need that same kind of support in your life. We need each other. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if someone's caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. It says, Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Real love does not rejoice in other people failing. Real love does not look forward to being able to pull out the billy club and whip our kids back into shape because we are angry at them and frustrated at them. Real love comes alongside people to build them up. Now, the church in Corinth, in the midst of this group of believers, they got jealous of each other. They came frustrated with each other, and they would throw each other under the bus in order to come out on top, to make themselves look better. Let me tell you something. That is not a good picture of the church. Here's what I'm learning. Whenever we actually come alongside people and are considerate of them and help point out to them the path that God has for their lives, there is great joy when we see people discover that there is a God who loves them. Now, too, too many times I've seen, seen parents, I'm not saying y'all, but I've seen some parents who are very competitive with their own kids. And they're very quick to point out you know, how much better they were at, at some sport or at some 
uh, some some subject in school than their kids were. Let me tell you something. If you want to alienate your kids or other people around you very quickly, just point out how much better you are than them. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not very successful. It doesn't work very well. If you're going to love them, you come alongside them when you see them in their weakness and you build them up. To help them see that they can be more than they can they ever dreamed they could be. That's why in verse number 6 it says that we are to build each other up in the truth. What is the truth? The truth is what God's Word says. What does God's Word say? It says that with the power of God working in us, that God can restore us and redeem us and rescue us. Do you know none of us are better than anybody else? I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Yo, know, we are just people that are in need of the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, here's what, here's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said, don't be deceived. He said, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers will see the kingdom of God. That's a pretty big list. So these people aren't going to see the kingdom of God. But here's what I like. He says, now some of you were like the people I just mentioned. He said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You know, none of us are better than anybody else. And one way that you can love your kid is be considerate to him and teach him that they need God. Because God can rescue them and pull them out of the pit of despair and sinful life and give us hope. So what is love? Love's costly. Love is, love is considerate. And that's the last thing I want you to see. Love is also enduring. Real love endures. Verse number 7. That's what it says about love. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. There's a couple things I want to point out. Verse number 7, it says, love bears all things. That word, bear literally means a roof. This is a great description of love. Love is a roof that will cover your child. That will cover the people you care about. What does a roof do? Anybody know? Is it doing anything? Yeah, it protects, right? Keeps junk off of us. When you love your kids, you are a roof for your children, when you love them biblically, you are a roof that will protect your child. What do you protect them from? The dangers of this world, from the sin of this world. You know, a, a part of being a roof or having a love that covers, it's, it's really described more adequately in 1 Peter 4a. It says, above all, keep your love for one another at full strength, since love covers a multitude of sins. When you love your children like a, like a covering, basically what you're saying to the world is, if you're going to get to my kid, you first of all have to come through me. See, whenever you see your children step outside the boundaries of God, and you love your kids, you're going to grab your kid and yank them back inside the boundaries while you can. You'll be praying for them and loving them. Whenever you see people who are going after your kids and pulling them away from the things of God... You're going to do whatever you can in order to remove them from that kind of a crowd. 
that's going to pull them off the path that God wants them to be on. Now, now why would we want to pull them into that kind of love, a godly love? Because whenever God has us, God's love trumps everything else in this world. And that's why it says that love hopes all things. Because whenever God gets a hold of your kid, he gets a hold of you, there's nothing that can stand, stand against you and be victorious. What does the Bible say? Well, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. I want to close with this, this story it's by a guy named Richard Selzer. He's a surgeon. He wrote in his book, Mortal Lessons, about a surgery he performed. A girl had a, had a tumor on her cheek, and he had to cut it out. So when he cut it out, he nicked a nerve in her cheek so that it, it messed up her smile. He said she had a crooked smile after the surgery. So after the surgery, he said the husband went into the, went into the room. He said, I was standing over to the side. And he said, and this is what he wrote in his book. He said, her young husband's in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. He said, who are they? He and this wry, wry mouth that I have made who gaze at and touch each other. Now the wife asked, will my mouth always be like this? He said, I, I looked at her and said, it will. He said, I, I cut a nerve in your face so you'll be disfigured like that. Lady said she, she nodded and she's silent. He said, but the young husband said it was interesting. He looked at his wife and said, I like it. He said, it's kind of cute. And unmindful, he leaned over and kissed her on the mouth. And then he said, to me, that is a picture of how God loves us. Because as people, we are disfigured and we are marred by life. And our kids, as they go through life, there will be things that will occur in their lives that will, that will cut them, that will disfigure them, that will mar them. And what they need is they need to see a picture of God's love, of a parent saying, you know what? I love you anyway. And what's love? Well, the Bible says it's costly, it's considerate, and it's enduring. And if you want your kids to see a picture of God, you love them. Is it easy? No, it's costly. Does it mean giving them everything they want? No. He's being willing to point out to them the things they need. Sometimes that requires discipline. Sometimes it requires tough love. But they need to see a picture of the kind of love that God has for us. Mm -hmm.